Well, good morning. Welcome again to Fellowship of Grace. Glad that you are here. Last week, we started a new series uh, called The Fundamentals of the Faith, talking about both doctrines and disciplines. We're going to start off with a few doctrines and then talk about some disciplines of the Christian faith. And I know that some of you who have been in church your whole lives, you think, oh my goodness, here we go again, another fundamental you know, thing. I've heard these sermons forever in a day. I, I, I know that there's probably or maybe no new information you might hear today. Uh, but folks, uh, great uh, uh, champions of any kind of competition in the world, they go back to the fundamentals, the fundamentals, the fundamentals. And the reason is, if we get sloppy on the fundamentals, it gets everything else out of whack. And so it's important that we understand and clearly uh, can communicate to others these important doctrines of the Christian faith. Last week, we talked about salvation. What is biblical salvation? You know, on my Facebook, I get a lot of people that um, uh, comment to me because under uh, religion, I have biblical Christian. And everybody always wants to ask me, well, what's a biblical Christian? Well, it's a Christian that follows the Bible. And uh, I thought it was pretty self-explanatory. It's a Christian who's a Christian by definition, as the Bible says, not how many other people might say. And so we, we follow the Bible very uh, as strictly as we possibly can here, as, as strictly as a man can do. And uh, so today we're going to uh, introduce another fundamental. And today we're going to be talking about the Trinity, the Trinity. Now, it reminds me, everything I think about the Trinity, it reminds me of a story about a little girl who was in church, and she was drawing a picture. And her teacher came up to her and said, hey, Susie, what are you drawing there? She says, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. She said, well, Susie, how, how can you draw a picture of God? Nobody even knows what God looks like. She says, well, they will when I get done, you know. Well, the reality is, folks, God can be a little bit uh, vague to us. I mean, the reality is, uh, no man has ever seen God the Father. We don't know what he looks like. And we, as human beings, we have a tendency to uh, uh, experience things with our senses. Now, this thing, the Trinity, is not even in the Bible, and some will say that's absolute proof that the Trinity is not biblical. It doesn't exist because the Bible never uses the word Trinity. The Bible never uses the word Bible. But here it is, right? Right? Okay, I mean, the Bible exists even though the Scripture does not use the word Bible. And I want you to see today uh, that the Trinity does exist. It does exist in God's Word. And we're going to talk about uh, how, how we can maybe understand it to some degree. But let me just say this. This is a very difficult, if not impossible, concept for the human brain. As we talk today, uh, you may get m more and more confused. That may be because I stink and it may be because the topic is just uh, so fraught with uh, uh, vagalities and, and, and fraught with questions that we just can't understand it. Augustine, one of the greatest and earliest theologians of the Christian faith, said this, quote, Anyone who denies the Trinity is in danger of losing their salvation, but anyone who tries to understand the Trinity is in danger of losing their mind. Now, that, now that's just, now he, he, there's a smart guy saying that, okay? So he knows what he's talking about. It is a difficult thing to understand. Brother Eric, a 12th century monk, after really botching a sermon on the Trinity, he took a vow of silence for the rest of his life. He did so poorly trying to explain the Trinity that he said, God, my words have no value I will never speak again, and he never spoke. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Boy, I hope this doesn't go very good today. 
<laughs> okay? Don't get your hopes up, okay? Don't get your hopes up. Uh, but anyway, let's get started, and let's talk about this, this, uh, this difficult topic called the Trinity. First of all, we as Christians worship one God. We worship one God. Now, it's important to get it straight in our minds right from the beginning that we do not worship three gods. It is very important to understand that. We worship one God, and we're going to see that he is found in three different personalities here in a little bit, but we worship one God. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 6.4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. Not three, not one, not two, not, two, not three, one. Look in Isaiah 45.5. It says, I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. Wow. Doesn't get any plainer than that, does it? It's one God. Now, some of you may be saying already, well, that's all the Old Testament stuff. That's before Jesus was born, right? That was before Jesus was born. What about the New Testament? What does it say? Well, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Folks, there is no doubt, the scripture teaches without a doubt, that there is one and only one God. Now, that's called monotheism. Monotheism. One monotheism, God. There is one God. Now, some would say, well, the problem with you Christians is you say you're monotheist, but you're not. You say you worship one God, but you really worship three. Well, it's not true. We'll see that later today. They say we're tritheists or polytheists. It's seen, we're seen as having three gods that are working in conjunction with one another, but that's heresy, folks. There are not three gods working in connection with each other. Uh, there are not three gods that kind of all agree. These are not, uh, you know, the God is not uh, uh, identical triplets, okay, that, that have three different people. It's one God. There's also a, 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 a belief called uh, monotheism, monotheism or, or modism. It believes that God changes modes over time. So God the Father existed in heaven, and he became the Son of God. And when he died on the cross and resurrected and went back to heaven, then he came back down as the Holy Spirit and now exists the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's heresy. That's heresy. It's not true. It's a lie straight from the pits of hell. There is one God and only one God, and we worship him. Now, you ever hear those things called um, oxymorons, you know, jumbo shrimp? You know, <laughs> they're kind of the opposite things. Uh, uh, governmental intelligence, those kind of things. I apologize to those of you who work for the government. Okay, but I'm going to now say something that sounds contradictory, but it's not. We worship a triune God, one God manifest in three persons. One God manifest in three persons. Now, while we usually, usually use the word for person uh, for distinct individuals, here we're going to use the word to describe three manifestations of the same person. One individual. One individual. Okay, so if I say I'm an individual and, and you're another person and, the, and that thing sitting next to you in the chair, that's another person. So we use it to, to describe individuals all the time. 
And so it gets a little confusing because now we're going to say there is one person, God. But he kind of shows up in three different persons. Okay? I, I know your eyes are beginning to spin counterclockwise. That's, I know, I know. Stay with me. Stay with me. Look, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have preexisted. The problem with monotheism is that it says that Jesus was born like we were. Folks, we came into existence at the moment of our conception. Our spirits did not preexist. If you think that you've had previous lives or you think that you've lived somewhere in the past, you just need to stop eating bad pizza before you go to bed, okay? That, that's what you need to do, okay? We came into existence the moment we were conceived. Jesus did not. Jesus already preexisted. He preexisted infinitely in the past before time began. And I want you to see it here. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, one of the disciplines we're going to talk about later is Bible study. How do you really study the Bible? One of the key parts of studying the Bible is to be a really good observer. Almost like a detective, observing what God says, not what we think he says or what we want him to say. What does he actually say? Look in the very beginning of that passage. Then God said, let us. Who is us? It's the Trinity. Let us make man in our image. And the word make, let us make. The entire Trinity already existed in eternity past, and all three of them were involved in creation. I can't tell you exactly how, because the scriptures don't say, well, God, the Father did this, the Son did this. The, we don't get that. And by the way, I said this last week, and some people said, that I've never heard that before. Okay? This book does not contain the full mind of God. This contains a path for God to tell us how to know him, how to love him, how to have a relationship with him, and how to have a relationship with others. This is not the full mind of God. It would take a kabillion books, if that's even a word, uh, to even touch the mind of God. But we see here that we, us, in our image, the entire Trinity, were present and somehow involved in creation. We don't know how, but somehow involved. I also want you to see here, there's something very interesting. We don't have time today to go into all of this. Let us make man in our image. That word image is an entire sermon series. It could be. Because one of the key things about being made in the image of God is that God needs, wants, has fellowship and community with himself. Think about that. Think about that. The Trinity is working together in making creation in creating everything that was made. They were working together. There is something inherent about the Godhead that needs and wants community and fellowship with one another. And he made us in his image to desire community, to desire fellowship, to want relationships with others. Now, I don't care how much of a loner you might think you are. The reality is, the reality is, all of us want and need 
relationships. We need a relationship with God, and we need relationships with others. And we see that here in this passage. In Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17, look what it says. All three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, exist here together. This is when Jesus was baptized. It says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, while the Bible may not use the word Trinity, here we see the Trinity working together at the same time. Uh, God did not change uh, uh, types. Here we see Jesus being physically baptized, which we're going to do here this morning. We see that, that the, the Spirit descended onto Jesus like a dove, and the Father spoke from heaven. All three of them existed at the same time in three different ways, doing three different things. And yet, they were incredibly the same. This is not one God changing manifestations. It's one God being three manifestations. We see Jesus also supporting this idea of the Trinity in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. In the Great Commission, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's exactly why uh, when we baptize a little bit later this morning, uh, uh, we're going to use those words. Now all pastors probably have their own little spiel on what they say at a baptism, but we all get the words in. We baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit because Jesus told us to do it just that way. And it supports this idea of the Trinity. I think it's crystal clear to see that the Bible teaches and supports this idea of the Trinity. Now, there are a thousand analogies to try and help us understand this, and all of them fall short. Every single one of them, when you really look at it and start to pull it apart layer by layer, they all fall short. But this is my favorite because it makes the most sense in my brain, which may not be the same for your brain. I don't know. But if you think about H2O, here is a water molecule. It has hydrogen and, and two oxygen atoms, right? Nope. Uh, thanks. Two hydrogen, one oxygen. Sorry. Yeah. There's a reason I'm a pastor, guys. I didn't do well in chemistry, all right? I didn't do well. Okay? It's H2O, but look at this now. H2O can take three forms. It can be ice, it can be water, it can be steam. And it's all exactly H2O. In its essence, at its molecular level, it is all exactly the same. See, God and Jesus don't have different opinions, the Holy Spirit and Jesus agree on everything. They're the same person, but different people. <laughs> Is it getting confusing yet? This, this helps me a little bit because it helps me to see that all three of them, at the base of who they are, at what they believe about everything in the universe, is exactly and absolutely the same. And yet they show up three different ways. It helps a little bit. I also left you enough room there on your notes, if you're taking notes, to, to draw this if it helps you. This also helps us kind of understand there is one God, and he exists. You know, the Father is God. The Son is God, too. 
The Holy Spirit is also God. The three of them together make up God. But the Father's not the Spirit, and the Father's not the Son. The Son's not the Father, and the Son's not the Spirit. And the Spirit's not the Father, and the Spirit's not the Son. Now that should make it just as clear as mud, right? You know, there's a reason why this is so hard to understand. And I think it's, I think it's important to know why it's hard to understand. I think it's important to, to really embrace why our minds cannot get around this. When you look at all of the Greek gods and you read about them, they're pretty easy to understand, aren't they? You know why they're easy to understand? Because they were all conceived by the human mind. That's why they're easy to understand. Uh, they've been created in someone's thought process. And we can replicate someone else's thought process. But our God was not created in the human mind. Our God was not created by guys eating bad pizza before they go to bed. Our God was created... Oh, wait. He was not created. He was before creation. So who created God? There, there, there just wasn't anything before God. God just exists. You, can you explain that to me? You see, folks, the one true God can't be explained because he is infinitesimally bigger than our human mind. When people say, uh, how can you trust and put your faith in a God that you can't understand? Think about it this way. If you tried to explain uh, to a stick man what a ball is like, how difficult would that be? He lives on a two-dimensional plane. He doesn't understand three dimensions. If you tried to explain a ball to him, all he could get was that it looks like a circle. Now you could even say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this. I know that you exist on that piece of paper. I'm going to throw this ball through the paper. And then you'll experience what a ball is like. But as, you, as it hits that paper, it'll be a dot. And as it goes farther into the paper, it'll be a larger dot. And when it gets past the halfway point, it'll become a smaller dot until it's just a speck again and goes out on the other side. He'll never be able to grasp the concept of a ball because he lives in two dimensions, right? Folks, we live in three dimensions. God has an eternal amount of dimensions we can't possibly totally and completely understand him. He's given us enough information so that we could know and love him, but not so that we could understand him. Our minds have not been created to be able to do that. So I think it's really profound. Yes, there's a reason why I can't explain my God completely, because nobody came up with him. I think that proves that he's God more than disproves he's God. So we worship one God who is a triune God who manifests himself in three persons. I also want you to see that the scripture teaches there is sub subordination within the Trinity. There is a subordination within the Trinity. It's very clear from the scripture that the Father is first, the Son is second, and the Holy Spirit is third. There is a subordination in order, but listen carefully, but not in substance or divine nature. Look what it says in 1 John 4.10. It says, The Father sent the Son. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here we see that God the Father had the authority to send the Son to do something. But 
we also see that the Holy Spirit is sent from the Father by Jesus. Look in John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. This is Jesus talking. Look carefully. But when the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus is saying, look, I have the authority to send the Spirit on behalf of my Father. The Father actually sends him, but I'm going to have, I've been given the ability or given the authority to send him. But folks, we've got to be careful. Being subject does not be, mean being devalued. We talk about this all the time when we talk about families in our church. Okay? The scripture is very clear that a wife should be subject or submit herself to her husband. But that does not invalidate her complete humanity or her essence, or even her equality as a human being. Just because men and women have different roles doesn't mean they have different value. And just because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have different uh, 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 roles to play doesn't mean that one of them is more valuable than the other. Being sent does not imply value. It only implies authority. And so we see here uh, that the Trinity has some kind of subordination level. I also want you to see that each person of the Trinity fulfills a separate role while remaining fully God. And I probably typed up these slides while I was hungry. That should be R-O-L-E, not R-O-L-L. Sorry, I know that really got to some of you who are already getting hungry for lunch. Okay, look, look the Father, here's, here's kind of in the simplest terms, okay? The Father creates a plan, the Son implements the plan, and then the Holy Spirit administers the plan. Now, that's a pretty wide and vague way to understand it, but it kind of helps. Let's see how this works in the plan of salvation. Look in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It was God the Father's plan to send the Son. It was God the Father's desire to send His Son Jesus to this earth. The Father came up with the plan and He sent Jesus to implement it, which He did. He came, He lived on this planet for 33 years, He went to the cross and died to fulfill God's plan. Now, we also see that subordinate thing coming into place. If you remember... Uh, Right before Jesus went to the cross, he went to a garden and he prayed. Now, this is the, I'm going to tell you, this is the Michael Porter paraphrase version, okay? Basically, what he said was this, Father, listen, if you've got a plan B, I'm I'm up for it. (laughs) If you've got another way to do this, if there's another way to to win the ransom, ransom these souls that are in bondage to sin, if there's another way to pay for them besides me go to the cross, I'm willing to listen, but at the end of the day, I will fulfill your plan. See, Jesus was basically saying, in my humanness, I don't even want to do God's plan. But I will. Because he's God. He's the Father. And I'm his son. And I'll do what he says. Look what it says in John chapter 6. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was clear. This is not, this is not about me doing my own thing. This is about me doing the Father's thing. This is about me coming and fulfilling what the Father wants me to do. And then the Spirit is administering the plan of God, drawing people to himself. Look at this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus speaking. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. We see here that the part in salvation, God has a plan. He sends his son to to do the plan, to go to the cross. And then the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of our sin so that we'll uh, uh, come to the place where we say, I can't save myself. I, I I can't do anything to get rid of my own sin. I can't do anything to pay for my own sinfulness. What am I gonna do? Oh, here's God's plan. And it was fulfilled by Jesus. And he died for me. See, the Spirit's doing a work in us. So they all take part in salvation. God had, came up with a plan to redeem mankind. The Father came up with the, re, the plan to redeem mankind. He sent Jesus to do it, and now the Spirit is drawing us to himself. And in fact, once we become Christians and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, he's still drawing us to himself through our, the Holy Spirit just, just you know, convicting us of our own sin. So the whole Trinity takes part in the act of salvation in some way. Look what it says here. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now let's just talk about this for a minute. Because I think when we hear a sermon like this, we go, okay, I learned a little bit today maybe, or I heard a little bit today about the Trinity, but how do I apply that? I mean, what's, what am I going to do different this week? How is that going to be, how is that going to change anything I do or think or, or be to other people or whatever? What this passage is saying in is, is that God is building a house. He is building a temple to worship the Father. And he's taken uh, the writings of the prophets and the apostles, this book, and he said, here's the foundation. And the Spirit is building the temple. But there's a chief cornerstone. The first stone to be set on top of the foundation is Jesus Christ. And he is a perfect cornerstone. By the way, I don't know much about building, but what I do know is uh, when you used to build things with stones, if the cornerstone is not perfectly square, if it's just a half a degree off, the, the longer the walls get, the more they aren't square anymore. And the more this building will never be able to come together. And so the the Trinity is still working today to build us into this. 
you know, it's important that we understand this concept to some degree because it affects the way that we relate to God. It, it, it affects the way that we, we think we relate to Him. While we don't completely understand Him, we shouldn't swing the pendulum to the other extreme and just throw our hands up in frustration and say, well, since I can't understand God, I'm just going to ignore Him. That's not the way to live. You know, sometimes people even ask me, well, I don't even, which one do we pray to? I mean, who should I pray to? Well, you know, Jesus prayed to the Father. We pray to the Father through Jesus, but being led by the Spirit. Last week we talked about uh, grace and faith. And the scriptures say that we are saved by grace, undeserved love from God. But we get that or we receive that by faith. If you can get the analogy of a gas pump and a hose that comes from it. You know, the gas is what makes my car go. But I can't, when I get up to the pump, if there's not a hose, there might be gas in that pump, but it doesn't do me any good if there's not a hose to get it from the pump to my car, right? And just like last week, we talked about we are saved by God's grace and God's grace alone, but it's pumped through the hose of faith. We receive it by the action of faith. Here, we pray to the Father. We pray to the Father. But Jesus is the hose. Jesus is the, the mediator between us and God. The scriptures say that there is one mediator between God and man, and it's the man Jesus Christ. So Jesus is our mediator. Folks, you're going to have a lot of time this week in your community groups to talk about the Trinity and all the questions that surround it. Uh, you might leave here today more confused than you were when you came in. I hope not. I hope not. But hopefully we've seen today at least some characteristics of the Trinity that will help us understand. There is only one God. We worship one God. But he's manifested in three persons. While there is a subordination within the Trinity, they are all of equal value. And each person of the Trinity fulfills a little bit different role while remaining totally and fully God. Look, folks, the Father is fully and completely God. The Son is fully and completely God. The Spirit is fully and completely God. And the three of them operate together as one God. There is no way our human minds can understand that completely, but this is a foundation of the Christian faith, and we need to embrace it. If I only uh, dealt with things in my life that I fully understood, I would never drive a car again. I don't get all the parts of that thing. I'm not a mechanical guy. I'm a, you know, I'm a creative guy. I'm not a mechanical guy. So we do things all the time that we don't understand. We deal with things all the time that we don't completely understand. Listen, folks, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to have a relationship with God because you can't fully and completely understand everything. And by the way, if you haven't given your life to him yet, you can understand even less because the Holy Spirit's not in you yet. Folks, the one way to get just an inkling of a connection to God is by giving your life to him. By doing what we talked about today, realizing that you're a sinner, saying, I can't do anything to save myself, I can't do anything to get rid of my own sin, but Father, I know that you had a plan, and you sent Jesus to this earth to pay the penalty for my sins, and when he went to the cross, he paid for your sins fully and completely. 
and to say to God, God, I accept that gift. I accept what Jesus paid for my salvation. I realize that he lived a perfect life and gave it up for me. I now give him credit for my sinful life that he died for. And thankfully, I get to take credit for his perfect life. Not that I'll live one, but that I'll have credit for his. Folks, it's just that simple. By faith, you put your trust in Jesus. Hopefully, I haven't botched this sermon so badly that it will be my last, like Brother Eric. But folks, I I, know this is hard, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the difficult uh, uh, theological things of our faith. Embrace them. Learn as much as we can about them. Understand as much as we can about them. And then we just trust. The, the thing that just keeps coming back to me from this is I can read all kinds of things. I can go to Wikipedia today and read about 50 different gods, and I can know everything about them because they were created by humans. Folks, our God was never created, certainly not by puny little humans like us. He is beyond beyond our ability to understand. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love us and want a relationship with us, and he has done a lot. He has done a lot to inspire and protect this book so he could put it in our hands so we could know him. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for the way that you love us. Thank you for the plan of sending your son Jesus to die for us. Lord, I pray today that even as we leave here with questions, as we leave here not knowing everything about the Trinity, Father, help us to just embrace you, to love you, and be okay with not understanding you. Father, we love other people in our lives, and we can't completely understand them either. Help us not be afraid of you. Help us not to run away from you because we can't fully understand you. Father, for those who are here, I pray that you would help us each to take our next spiritual steps in our spiritual walk, in our journey of life, that we will become more like your son, Jesus. We thank you for that plan that won us back. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.